time. That's right. Yes, you are now tuned in and therefore have positioned yourself to become undeniable in your pursuit of personal, professional, and spiritual excellence. And hopefully you are pursuing excellence because if you're not, but if you're not, I will say you have come to the right place today. Welcome to this jam-packed episode of Become Undeniable. I am your mostly humble host, Brad Austin, as always, keeping it real no matter whose feelings it hurts, while providing undeniable value every step of the way. Now, before I introduce my special guest today, I'm going to tell you right now, if you missed part one of this guy's episode, don't even just, just hang it up, go listen to part one right now before you come into part two, all right? Because I don't think you're ready for part two yet, not unless you hit part one. You got to do it. It's like a sequel. You just cannot miss it, right? That said, I'm going to introduce my special guest today, Mr. Cody Adams from Open Wisconsin. Cody is a faith-based media professional who helps businesses with their storytelling efforts and does a damn good job at it, if I might add. He's also the owner of Storyscape Design. And I'll go ahead and plug him real quick. If you want to check him out, you can find him on Twitter to see what kind of stuff he's talking about today. He's always talking about something, bro, and you can see a theme very, very quickly. You see where he stands very quickly, and that's one of the things I love about him. You can hit him on Twitter at Storyscape, S-T-O-R-Y-S-C-A-P-E, underscore. Don't forget the underscore. Cody Adams, what's up, brother? How are you doing today? Hey, Brad. Doing great. What a great day today. Man, part one was a doozy, huh? It was jam-packed full of, I mean, if a business owner can't take that stuff and run with at least some of it, bro, something is wrong. Like, you yeah, did a great a lot job. There. A lot there, bro, and I appreciate it. I hope the audience appreciate it, appreciates it. I think they will. So let's kind of pick up where we left off, all right? If you would, Cody, let's just let's kind of catch people up a little bit, all right? Just you know, briefly. Not, we don't need to go 10, 20 minutes in if you don't want to, but if you want to, you can. But let's let's bring people up to speed if they didn't hear part one yet, and tell us about the this this shift in marketing as you see it all right and and why it's important for companies to realize tell us what you mean by that yeah so uh, as you'll hear in the first episode if you have a chance to listen to that and if you wanted a refresher you already listened to it and you're getting into this right now essentially there's a shift in marketing from being very much a, uh, a transactional base where you're looking to market a specific product the features of that product um, on its own and you're trying to only market the features um, there's been a shift in the way we think about marketing beyond essentially the sale itself. It's actually relate in relationship to the whole purpose in which you as a person and, an, and slash as an organization exist. And so it goes deep to the very core of your being to why you even get up every day. And um, if we can define that purpose, that cause, that belief that really makes everything tie together, that really aligns everything and ultimately provides a huge foundation for the reason why your product or service helps you, helps anyone in that goal, in achieving that goal together. That's ultimately the context in which you want to build your marketing development so that your product actually accomplishes a larger goal than merely the one transaction that you have. It actually hits to the broader goal of helping make society better in the way that you particularly and your company are built to, to actually make better, to actually improve the process that you know and you understand needs to improve. And so um, 
to do that, oftentimes the best way to accomplish that goal is using storytelling and powerful stories to encapsulate the values and beliefs that you as a company stand for, both internally in the way you function together as a team, and then externally in the way you operate within your community and ultimately the larger society of the world. And the way you can build those stories is first and foremost getting into your personal story, both as a founder and as an individual. What is it that makes you particularly unique? What is it that brought you forward from where you were to where you are today? What are the obstacles that can you confronted day in and day out that you had to overcome in order to be the person you are today? And including the failures, the times that you had an obstacle and you didn't make it, but you still moved on and you learned something incredibly powerful from those mistakes that made you who you are today and help you understand as you walk forward what you should do. And those truths, those things that you have learned and your company has learned together can be powerful stories to basically fill the lo- the landscape around your marketing that basically props up the product so that there is an entire culture you're building around you and around your product and around your service that goes far deeply in be- beyond the immediacy of that one product transaction. It definitely does give a boost broader than the immediate sale and actually gives a meaning and builds a loyalty with a particular group of people that understand and resonate with your story and how that can actually help you in every aspect of both your internal uh, development as a company and your external development in your top end marketing as you go forward. And the power of using the stories in a way that actually helps you understand what you stand for and who you are as a person broadens actually even to the broader community. And I think that's where we're going to get in today is talking about what does when you fully get into your story, when you fully understand the obstacles and trials that you exist in, and when you fully start to realize you're building towards something, some goal, some belief, some higher ideal for the way in which we live as a society than we currently are in. And we want to go from where we are to where we want to be. And that process is also how you actually scale in your company. Every single person that you interact with is one of your community members in your company. And every single customer you interact with or client is a person or a member of a community. And the we literally can start to scale out the impact that we have as indiv- individuals out to our society. And ultimately, that's the, the, the difference between our world getting better and our world getting worse, is each one of us, when we get into our story, when we know what we're about, when we know what we're striving towards, and we want to stay away from the areas that lead us towards destruction, we build a better world. And I think when we don't see a world coming to fruition, when we don't see a better world happening, we have to stop and ask ourselves what's going on, what's going on in the society around us, what's going on in each organization at every level that we're a part of, and what's going on with me. Where am I at? What am I doing or not doing that is causing the world to get worse in which we see? And ultimately, that's really where I think we want to take this discussion today. Right, Brad? Yeah, man. We, we, we're going to be building some bridges today, bro. <laughs> get your hammer out. Get your tools. We're going to be building some bridges. 
And uh, if you if you're listening to that, if you listen to that, what Cody just talked about, and you want to know how to do all that, nope, not getting into that today. Go listen to episode one. Go listen to part one, I should say, right? All the details are there. We're not going to rehash them today. We're going to get into some real stuff today, some more real stuff today, I should say. So, Cody, we've talked about um, previously the importance of incorporating story into your business, how to do that. How can they start doing that right away, even if you're Joe's Pizza Shop and everything else? But Again, you just you've mentioned it a couple of times, and I see where you're going, and it makes a lot of. It, it, I think it's going to make a lot of sense once you start building that bridge, if you will. But um, first of all, I guess I want to ask you, kind of, what is your overall take on the state of our country right now? Right, there's going to be a lot. You're going to have to unpack a lot here, but you're ready for it. I know the state of our country as it is right now, um, and what that has to do. Uh, obviously, with the societal decline that we're no doubt experiencing, can you touch on that a little bit, or a lot? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's obviously a very broad uh, and a very detailed topic. But just kind of giving a, a quick summary, I mean, we see, we we all feel that there's something broken, there's something wrong, and uh, to some degree, depending on what um, area of political um, lean you have, you you've identified some ideas on what those problems are. Um, some are very dependent on which direction you're leaning um, of what the real problems in our country uh, transcend. And so ultimately it's questioning about the origins of some of these things. Where did things start to get, get off track? And ultimately um, what is really the problem of any nation, but then specifically our nation, what's gone wrong? And, and I think some of the main areas that's gone wrong are, number one, are, are drifting of the idea that it's possible to find ultimate truth. And when you start to drift in that area, the idea that you can find and understand ultimate truth, that there is a truth that transcends a context or a particular individual or particular perspective, it is a eternal perspective on the way in which you should live in the world. When we've getting a, gotten away from that, that's ultimately the largest area in which we've seen the unraveling of what our nation has. Because once you get away from that standard, it all becomes relative. Moral beliefs becomes relative. The basic structures upon which we've built, uh, you know, the actual day-to-day -day ops of the way in which our nation functions is relative at that point. And so when you when you let go of the vision of an ultimate reality and take your eyes off of that and put your eyes on what you see as the immediate problem in front of you, what also starts to happen is you stop becoming the thing that you're wanting to become and you actually start to become the thing you're focusing on. Whatever you focus on is what you essentially, whatever you focus on the most is actually, practically speaking, what you worship. And what you worship is who you become. And so the more we've taken our eyes off the ultimate standard for who we are and what we are about, uh, which is God himself and what he has expressed to us in his word, the more our country, technically speaking, generally on any side, has gone off to on a drift. And there are, however differences between the sides of the drift depending on which sides you're on there is a broader 
and more difficult um, drift on one side that is because they don't want any reference whatsoever to what is considered the Judeo-Christian framework of the past. And the Judeo-Christian framework is upon which all of the West is based on, and therefore what America in particular makes America unique as a nation is the particularities of how it combined the ideals of the West in a specific way that allowed it to be free. And the more we've gotten away from those ideals, the more we've slumped back into complete chaos as a nation, morally, specifically, and structurally. Um, the same goes for where we've gotten off base in on how we thought about our government. Um, because we've gotten rid of ultimate truth, because we've gotten rid of the idea of where to find that truth, our original documents, anything that's of the past of us, is open for interpretation. It no longer becomes that there was an original intent that any one person wrote in any point in time and meant for us to understand today. It becomes whatever we choose that thing in the past to stand for. And that's what's happened with our Constitution. The idea of original intent of the writers and founders of our Constitution as a nation don't exist anymore in the general mind of the, of the populace. We believe that those guys are all long and dead. And none of their ideas need to be brought forward, number one. But number two, what even Benjamin Franklin or any of these guys meant can never be known. Because we weren't in that time period. And the erasing of the idea that truth is knowable, even of an original intent of an author, is what allows what has happening today to America to unravel. We've been able to erase our past so that we can redefine our future but not in a way that furthers the ideals, the rock-solid ideals that are based on truth. It's based on our imagination. And the more we've drifted in that direction as a nation, the structural things start to drift away as well. So I don't know if you wanted... There's a lot more niche we could get into on each one of those things. Um, but that's the general direction why we've slid um, as a society. You know, um, boy, that is... I mean... That is that is a lot, a whole lot that you've thrown out there, man. And and this again, this could turn into a long show if we let it. Um, <laughs> but for the sake of time, I, I I think I think I have a direction for us to go that kind of connects all the dots here. But um, like, would you just as a, as a side note, would you agree with my personal opinion? Um, the more I, the more awakened I become, the more I realize that this left versus right, you know, construct is a false construct, right? This liberal versus conservative, left versus right, Republican, Democrat, blah, blah. It really is just a false construct in my view. It's a false dichotomy, right? And it's really just, it is just a continuous systemic way, if you will, to keep people pitted against each other, to keep us divided, to keep us fighting, divide and conquer. It's, it's like, they keep recirculating this play day in and day out and day in, and people still don't see it. It's frustrating as heck, man. Right. But I think the goal, as you stated in, in, in so many uh, intelligent words is that they have to remove our identity, right? If our identity is in constitutional frameworks, which were God inspired, regardless of what you may say, therefore God ordained, if you will, there were, 
if they remove and bro, if you just like, if you open your eyes for a little bit, just really just get out of your own box for a second, get out of your Democrat box, get out of your Republican box and just stand up in the clouds and watch. Right. It's really not that hard to see that they're these elitists, these evildoers, if you will, they, it's not hard to see that their intent is to remove God from our identities and from the nation as a whole. Right. Do you agree with that? So uh, I think when going back to your question is, is there a significant difference between right and left? Is that what you were asking? No, it's not. There is, there is a difference as far as the the supposed policies, but this, this battle of, of left versus right all the time. And, and, you know, I I think it is, I think it is a false construct, right. To keep people divided. Right. Are there difference between the ideals of, of people on the left and the right? Depends. Are we talking in the street down here in South Florida or in Wisconsin where you live? We're just talking to our neighbors. Is there really a difference? Not a whole lot on social media. Oh man, it's polarized as heck. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so there's, there's a couple different parsings within that idea. I think number one, the thing we're wrestling with here is generally speaking, anytime something happens in a social group, or in in society at at large, society tends to fractionate into groups naturally, right? I mean, if you're on the playground when you're a kid and you are not really familiar with geopolitical, you know, positions whatsoever, uh, you you group up, right? In in groups of people that you like to hang out with, that you you find that you fit in well with, they fit in with you. And for whatever reason, you're good. And then there are other groups who, uh, the way you group up, is either done by intrinsic meaning, as in you all agree to the basic principles together, or it's grouped up by a, essentially a, a patriarchal system, if you will, any form of, of hierarchy that is an, a group of person enforcing through coercion the keeping of a group, right? And so group dynamics can happen at, on either way. So you can have the natural grouping of people because of intrinsic uh, agreement and then the tyrannical side of grouping because of uh, deliberate uh, desire to differentiate or to divide. And I would say they happen both on both planes. And so uh, the tendency for us as conservatives, especially, I would say, is for us to assume first and foremost that there is a deliberate attempt always to divide and to coerce. And I would say to most, for the most part, I mean, you can't deny that that's a human truth and certainly a a truth that transcends history. But then you also have the basic aspect of, of how social groups form and it's also inherent. So groups would happen either way without force or with force groups are going to divide. And so that when, when we're talking about why is there division elites are part of the problem. Elites definitely are essentially a coercive force that divide us in various ways, whatever way you're choosing. But they, if you removed the, the, the elites, you're still going to divide based on interest, based on um, whatever form of interest that naturally divides the group. So I would say, and, and part of that is a practical thing, right? Part of it is you can't agree with everyone in every plane and accomplish a, the same goal or a, a goal, right? You, you, you can't on a football team run three different types of offenses all in at the same time 
and expect you to have any kind of co co coherence to actually win a game. Um, you have to embrace one viewpoint as a whole team in order for you to coordinate so that you accomplish a goal. And so those people who are a part of those groups, let's say, who don't want to run those plays can go form their other group over here so that they run the plays that they think is right. And they group up with people who also agree to run those plays and do that. So there's a practical issue there too, is that it, the d division of groups happens because we don't, we're not able to actually accomplish what a lot of society in the globalist idea is trying to tell us, tell us, which is that it is possible for us to be as, as, as widely diverse as humanly possible and achieve the same goal because we will not have a coherence of practicality that allows us to actually go towards a goal. We will literally be working at cross purposes to one another and be in constant conflict chronically, or the groups that are in charge suppress those who are underneath or, or those underneath are willingly saying, I, I'm not going to, you know, project my views on the views of what we should do on, on the whole, but someone is, because that's the only way you get from point A to point B. So the, the point, which is what Piaget um, describes as a learning development um, psychologist, he tried to explain this actually in describing how children understand how to play with each other. And he described it as the equilibrated state, which is that you are participating as an individual within a group in a way that allows you as an individual to manifest who you are, but also in a way that coordinates with the whole of the group. And that's always going to be our dichotomy in all of human endeavors is how are we to, as an individual, do what we think is best, but at the same time have to coordinate our the priorities of that in reference to the group around us. And so there's always a fractionation that has to happen. And I would say, yes, some of that is driven by the elites, which we should be aware of and be un, uh, trying to call out and basically help them. Di distribute power rather than continue to collect power. Um, but it also is going to happen inherently. And so we can't get rid of it by simply blaming the elites and it won't, and won't happen that way. So on that plane, I think we can say that there is a difference between what will happen right and left. But let's say if you even got rid of the whole left as is, let's say, let's just say they were, the left was entirely raptured. Let's give them a positive way in which they... <laughs> They removed themselves from the planet. Uh, they were all raptured, let's say. And we only had the right now. There's going to still be right and left. You're going to have your oh, liberal yeah. right-wingers, and you're going to have your hardcore conservative or, or even you know, totalitarian right-wingers. You're going to be on both wings still. So yep. right and left never goes away. Even if you remove the, let's say the the elitists from the position, whether right or left. So that's my thought on that. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'll add is that, in in my view, the difference the difference there is that um, chances are, I mean, we we as as the people are aren't going aren't to hate each other with our self grouping, right? You just said it. If we don't like, if we're not interested in the same thing as this group, there's another group over there we can go join and be in harmony, and everybody has their own groups now as it is, right? Whether people go to church or this and that and the other, or all yeah. kinds of different groups. 
and and we still coexist. We still live in harmony, still don't hate each other, but they're these elites are the the catalyst really to to the injection of of all the fear and the mass formation that has occurred over the past three years. That this is this COVID mess should teach everybody a whole lot. And if it hasn't taught you much up until this point, then you got your head so far in the sand, bro. You it's not even funny. I might need to send you a shovel and have somebody start digging you out because it's crazy. Uh there's so much that is evident. Um and I'm just saying I think there's it it it's man. It really comes down to who's <laughs> who can get bought, right? Well, it's like people I, I on the think... left get bought, people on the right get bought, and and the elites are the ones that are 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 handing out the cash. I think uh, the there's agendas. a little bit there's a little bit on on this plane that's again it's <clears throat> so the question is where does evil come from? Mm-hmm. Does it come from externally or does it come from internally? Right. If if evil comes externally, you're right. It is always the elites. It is always the people in power. If evil comes internally, then it's every individual who allows themselves, allows power to corrupt them, who allows essentially anything to corrupt them. Mm -hmm. And so, and then you, you also have the nature of that all human endeavors will break out in hierarchies. So, and this is where, again, if, if you lean to libertarian, you're going to end up being articulating the same message as the radical left, which is um, that that the that uh, that the elites, the people in hierarchical positions, are always the ones that are are always the wrong ones, and they're always the oppressors. And it's like hierarchies exist in nature. I mean, we see regularly existing social contracts, social hierarchies within nature that are very strict. And so it's not necessarily an inherently human construct at all whatsoever, a human cultural construct. As a matter of fact, we know that it's a divine construct because we are always in a hierarchical reference to both God, man, and, and ourselves, our, our other people. Um, and so the, the idea of where does evil come from, it's not purely from the people in, who occupy hierarchy, whether it's through money that has created the hierarchy or some other position of coercion. It's anyone who allows themselves to manifest the things that that create darkness and that power, basically the craving of power is that. So you dethrone the, let's say we dethrone all the elites. You don't get rid of what we see. You actually create the same things because we're not, we are the problem. Each individual is the problem. And we know this, um, we, that, uh, that's actually the whole reason why we have America in, in the first place. This is the whole reason America was created is that the restriction of power is the fundamental way in which you preserve that higher, preserve freedom and any power, as James Madison said, um, all men having power ought to be mistrusted. Mm-hmm. That includes, that includes us. We should willingly expect others to to perform the roles of checking on us. The greater, the more power that we have. And we should not try to allow individuals to get away with things simply because they're in positions of leadership or if they're not. And so the, the rise of the totalitarian, the rise of the elite doesn't happen from people who are already wealthy. It happens from the people who are most resentful of the other people who have something 
And the moment you take that away and you get something, you become the elite. So that's where I'm saying I don't know if it's helpful as a society to focus on that the problem is removing the elites. The problem, first and foremost, is dealing with each individual heart and keeping structures that push power down the hierarchy, which includes each one of us, whether, and this goes into our larger point here, um, the way we run our companies defines the way our nation will run at scale across time. If you run your company like a dictator, don't be surprised if you create dictators in society. Right. You should think that your the way in which your social functions, your so, every every literal every lower end thing at the bottom of our society scales to the top. And so if we as individuals in the way we're running our companies aren't running them with the same principles of empowerment, of divided power, of being willing to say I'm I'm even though I'm the one the guy who, and you know, the buck stops here, I have to make a decision. How you run it determines what you want your nation to be like. And this is actually a funny thing that most conservatives won't actually admit is, uh, you know, the difference between restricting power is usually socialists believe power should be restricted on the local level, but scale to its height in the national level. It's fine if it scales bigger and bigger on the national level, but we got to make sure that no corporations get too much power. The right goes, no, no, no. The national level should be least amount of power as possible, but the local level should have more power. That's true in generally, but all power structures have to be, again, mistrusted all the way down and willingly so if we wish to maintain freedom. And this is the whole point of the story of Lord of the Rings. If you've watched or familiar with the books or you've watched the films, the whole point is that the one ring of power can corrupt even the most uh, docile and humble of creatures just as severely as in a man if given the amount of, correct amount of time. And so that's the same thing. It, 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 no matter who you are, power that dwells too long will actually corrupt everyone. Um, and that includes ourselves. So I, I, that's what I'm, I would say is it's not just necessarily the wealthy elites that is, is this problem. Yes, currently, that is the problem. But functionally, that isn't the core of the problem. That's not where the problem originates, is the wealthy elites. Um, the problem originates in how we decide to choose to be humble and at the same time be a good leader as christ was mm. so basically what it what, it, what cody is saying everybody is that we're doomed <laughs> no each individual the more each <laughs> individual the more you take your responsibility for yourself and the more you take responsibility for others um in your midst and you properly submit yourself to to uh, the group, but at the same time, maintain your individuality as much as you can in, in that balance, the better our country will get. Yeah. So. Tell that to, tell that to the world economic forum. Um, <laughs> and all their, well, yeah, when and you all get their grand power, master you plans. Yeah. Yeah. You got to stop them. So. When, when you allow, you know, when you allow Sauron to reign, eventually it's going to take a big giant pitched battle. Um, so it's not like you, you don't, you can't, you do have to stop the bad guy once he gets the bad gun. You can't just say, well, you know what? We should have, you know, uh, right. we should have just uh, made him have a good family life so that he grew up and never wanted to kill anyone. Too late. You got to stop the bad guy. 
right? I mean, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Man, I'm glad you kind of, I'm glad you kind of ended on, turned that around a little bit because I was going to say, um, we probably got some people asking, what does this have to do with like the shift and storytelling? <laughs> you know well, I, 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 I started bridging into it already, actually. Yeah, I know. That's what I said. I'm glad you did. Um, so let's go, let's go a little further. And I agree with you, man, Th- those as business owners ourselves, that's what we have. We have to set the example, right? One thing you didn't, one thing you didn't mention that I'm sure you would have was obviously transparency is something that that's, a, a you know, that I like to make sure right. that I practice. I mean, you know, obviously in, in business, there are, there are sections of the business that, you know, your marketing guy doesn't need to see, right? He doesn't need to see your QuickBooks account. He doesn't need to see stuff like that. But I mean, overall transparency in the vision, the goal, the process, everything else, and that to where they can they can just keep building that trust in their leader, right? And I think it's just it's it's highly powerful, and it makes things a lot easier when you have to when you have to come to them and say something to the effect of, "All right, guys, I have to make a decision, and you're probably not going to like it." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And there's, yeah, sometimes there's that happens. A lot, sometimes it happens, and sometimes you just have to make those decisions. But yep, let's move. We start. We we tie it in the business, bro. Let's tie in. I know you're passionate. I know you are passionate about um, the body of Christ. I know you're passionate about um, churches that are exuding that transparency and that biblical soundness that we talked about. And I will just lean on you to tie in the story and, and everything about it as well. But let's connect some more dots here, right? With between this societal decline that you that you spoke of, uh, the decline in church attendance, if you will, um, and the rise of the someone called the woke slash progressive uh, church. So yep. the floor is yours, sir. Sir, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna listen. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so there's three main things that I've identified so far in my study of this problem um, that I believe is causing a lot of the problems we see in the churches, which at scale causes the problem in society. Um, And that is that we've endorsed deism as a predominant way to think about the Bible, Um, which deism, I'm going to give you the big three first and then I'll get into the individual deism, um, postmodernism, and then actually a new form of monasticism, monk living. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch into that. Why I believe the church has endorsed some of the ideologies of these distortions, which had in a new way, new package, which has caused what we're, what we're seeing today. Number one is ultimately deism. Deism is obviously, the, it comes from the Enlightenment period. Um, where uh, basically the idea was God existed and God defined uh, a reality at creation, but then he didn't have anything else to do with creation. He set the laws in place, natural laws that function on their own, and all of society from that point on is a wound clock. It's just winding down. And that's it. God doesn't intervene on the lives of men. God doesn't expect us to reference him in the way in which we're operating here today. We can just take the natural principles that exist in the world and then remix them however we want to get a better society. And that idea was very much a part of the thought process that started to build, even in our founding fathers. Many of them were deists. 
not all of them, which is why we have fairly good understanding at the beginning of our nation that we were supposed to be referencing God's ethics to define our laws. But some of them did. They were like, yeah, you know, it's kind of general guidelines. You know, the Bible's more like guidelines than actual rules. That That's <laughs> kind of like really what they a lot of uh, quote unquote deists believed. And that is very much uh, a part of the new idea of how churches function. That the Bible is kind of general guidelines for how to run a nation. It's not specific and it's not whatsoever. We don't even need to talk about the Old and the New Testaments. This is just kind of just generalized. And that is fundamentally one of the reasons why we have slid in society. We've removed ourselves as Christians from the idea that we can, that our, it's a separation of church and state, Right. That the, right. the things of God don't have anything to do with the things of our nation, and that to yeah. involve our nation in the things of God is bad, is somehow uh, destroying the idea of God. And to involve our, essentially to involve, our, involve ourselves in society is bad. Now, this is where you get monasticism, a new form of monasticism, which is basically the removal of yourself from the world so that you can more closely practice Christ. Because if you involve yourself in the world, you taint yourself. And this is definitely what the church has embraced hook, line, and sinker, that if they are involved in politics, if they are involved mm. in culture, that they have tainted themselves and that they are not able to carry out the gospel and that they're not able to focus on the things of God if they're involved in the world, if they're engaged in the world. And so in order for us to properly be about what God says, which in their mind is to be dwelling on the things of God and be practicing the things of God, we should withdraw from not or organized involvement within the world. So that's why the church is no longer engaged in society whatsoever. That's why the church is not engaged in our businesses either. Um, we have believed the same things about deism to our business. That, well, we do our business thing, but our theology kind of stays on church. But the way we, we don't really think about applying our theology to our business. That's not really how it goes. Which is why a lot of churches have ended up doing the reverse. They've actually reversed it. They've gone, well, let's take the world's idea of business and apply it to the church. The same's gone with the culture. Let's take the ideas of culture and apply it to the church. What we've done is we've allowed the church to be the clay and society to be the hands that mold the clay. Instead of what God calls us to do, which is to be the reverse. God mm -hmm. is literally calling us as the body of Christ, as literally his body because he is resurrected. So he, we are his body on the world. We are his hands and his feet. And it is our job as the body of Christ to be his hands, the potter's hands. And we are to help mold our world in the shape of the, cro of the cross, in the shape of Christ. And that is our calling as believers, is to be his body in the world. And part of where we got off in this direction is also our interpretation of Romans 13. 
And in Romans 13, it says that you, we are to obey. Paul is talking, Apostle Paul, and he said we are to obey our leaders um, and those in, the, in government uh, because they are an instrument for our good to carry out good and evil and to punish those who are doing evil. That, is in, our, in his context, remember, is in a, what Nero was governor, or Nero is the, the, the Caesar. He has taken power. He is, we, they're in essentially in a tyrannical monarchy when he is making this statement. And so he's making the statement as, we're, you know, honestly, we should just obey what we need to do, what the government tells us to do, but then do our own gospel thing, separation. There was no context for any believer at the time to be involved with their government. There was no way as a citizen of Rome to truly be an influence on their government. They weren't even called to do that. So when the Bible talks about just obey your governmental structure to and, and make sure he carries out evil, uh, when he's carrying out, you know, defining what evil is and punishing it, that's all well and good. But when, number one, you've defined, their, the world has defined evil differently than God has. When your nation has defined what evil looks like differently, You've got a problem, and so you have a wisdom problem that you have to apply the whole counsel of God to in that context. Well, in our context, we've taken Romans 13 to mean, well, we're just supposed to not really get involved in politics. We're just supposed to obey our government. So if our government makes a rule that's in, in, in contradiction to God's laws, that's just what happens. We don't need to, you know, we just kind of need to do it. And that's what Todd Friel said on, on Wretched. He said, if the government tells you to put a, a pinwheel on your hat, you're just supposed to put a pinwheel on your hat. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what the original intent of that passage is meant in our context because we are in a constitutional republic where the people are actually have stewardship responsibility for the direction of the nation. And our oath of citizenship is not to an office or to a leader. Our oath in citizenship is to our constitution and the laws that reflect it. And so for us to carry out and actually obey, as it were, our government so that it does punish evil is for us to be properly involved as the church in making sure our world reflects Christ and reflects what he says and to be his hands that influences the world. And so we have gotten so far off path with this that what's started to happen is once you have the church taking a back seat, you have somebody's got to fill in the gap, right? The church takes a back seat to the problems that exist in society because, again, we're supposed to quietly pray and read the Bible to ourselves. We're supposed to quietly serve our church to ourselves. So there's people going hungry. There's people who had horrible things happen to them. There's people who um, are, are needy and have serious problems that affect society. What, what, what's supposed to take the place of dealing with these people? Big brother. Big brother has to fill in the gap because the church has receded its role in being the hands to the culture and being literally the hands that build who we are and is the body of Christ in the culture the government has to take more of an active role. And in a constitutional republic, 
that starts to unravel the entire structure entirely. And so we end up with a whole society that ends up trying to le legislate morality through laws and rather than realizing that laws aren't what make people moral. It's the fact that they have a relationship with Christ and what that looks like defined in scripture defines how they should live and the regular uh, process it is for a believer to be sanctified by the spirit to make themselves look more like Christ and by the body helping each other out. Bro, that's not what Jesus would do in that situation. We don't do that anymore. We don't confront any uh, another brother anymore. Oh, yeah. no. You know? And that's a Everybody's big problem. Scared. Everybody's yeah, everybody... scared, but everybody has defended themselves. Right? And this is where postmodernism comes in. What ends up happening in the church is that postmodernism is the idea that my truth, my interpretation of scripture, is the only interpretation. Again, there is no original intent. Can't know what Paul meant, and it certainly doesn't mean that you have any idea of what that is. So my interpretation is king. And so you could never tell me that I'm sinning. Postmodernism has started to protect sin in the church and protect that you can't, then it's actually shameful of you to call a brother accountable. And so when we start to, the church doesn't start to self-check itself, have che proper checks and balances, the church starts to devolve into the problem. And it's not necessarily the problem that you see on Sunday morning. It's the church living out in society. That's the problem. What we as the body do when we're out in society, which is we don't speak up when we should. We go along with things we should. We start adopting things that we shouldn't. And we start actually preaching things that are against the Bible entirely. And we, and that happens in our companies. And that's a big problem that happens where it, it doesn't just affect our churches. It doesn't just affect our government. It affects how we run our companies. And as leaders, especially business leaders who are Bible-believing Christians, it's our duty to make sure that we govern our, our, um, our leadership of our uh, business as Christ would and how Christ would talk about the relationship in the church between when we're wrong, because sometimes we're wrong. You know, the business leaders are the top guy is wrong and he's yeah. got to be checked by somebody else. And what's the appropriate uh, measure of checking? They're, they're accountable to no, every single person who's a believer is accountable to one Christ first two the word three every other believer and four the laws that God has set up that reflect his what his definition of good and evil those are how every single believer including the people in our church and leadership the people in our businesses and leadership are accountable to and when our businesses don't reflect especially Christians what God is describing in the the way we should live out our testimony the way we should think about sales right honesty in sales let your yes be yes and your no be no uh there's so many principles that we are blind to as christians in the business world because well this is just what we do in business we have to apply our biblical standards and our biblical ethics to the workplace and so if you see that the 
it starts with that. It starts with your 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 church and you you and God. It starts with you and your family, then your church, then your community, then your politics, and of course also your uh, under that is your businesses. Businesses are a major part of how or organizations in general, how society is framed and the literally the direction of society actually moves. And so if we're not capturing our 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 gaze upward. If we're not looking at a transcendent, fixed point, an ultimate truth, and we're not helping each other achieve that ultimate truth, that's where we start to go off base. And so we can talk next about how story plays a role in us doing that. Whenever you're ready, Brad. Yeah, man. I just um, I just have a hard time. And again, this is this is me sidestepping again, and I apologize, but I have a hard time. I have a hard time. I mean, at what point? Did, did people, I mean, how, how, I don't know how I can do it. How can you go along with something? You hear somebody say something, right? You give, they give you something, you know, there's, there is no truth in it whatsoever, right? You know, because you just know, right? But how can, how can people just go along with something they know is not true, right? And start claiming it. I, I, I'm not trying to ask you to be a psychologist here, bro, but it's, uh, it's just, it's baffling to me. It's like, no, 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 you you, you, you are what you are, right? I mean, again, the whole gender thing just drives me nuts because, you know, I, I again, I, I, I always, I have, I have empathy for people who are, who are genuinely confused and who genuinely have issues, man. I, I pray that, that they get the help they need and they find their identity. It's also an identity issue in my opinion. Right. Um, but I just don't understand, bro. I, I get, yeah, if, if you got some sprinkles on that, I'd, I'd love to hear yeah. in your experience as far as like, how can people just go along with stuff you know inherently is not true? It makes no freaking sense whatsoever, but you're going along with it. Yep. Yep. Um, so the fundamental reason that people drift in that area into allowing other people to define reality, you know, what in a, even in a fantasyful sense, um, is because we have seared our conscience to some degree by not always speaking the truth when we should and that is literally a it is a it is a muscle speaking the truth is literally a muscle of the mind and of the soul and so every single time that as an individual as you're growing up from a child and up when you lie or you know you don't quite speak the truth, what happens is on a literally a psychological level, your mind is able to temporarily believe a lie. And the more you do that, the more of a habit you do that, what will happen is when you are in a social situation as you're older, you have created a muscle of responding to a situation with a lie that when you get into a situation that pressures you to, to declare your allegiance one way or the other to the truth that you know or to the lie that it is being asked of you and you are put upon yourself and there's the right conditions that make it very, very difficult for you and consequential if you, if you speak the truth. That if you take that opportunity and you, once again, you know, not speak the truth. What will happen is that's the reason it, it, it be perpetuates itself. 
You literally have made a habit of it and it happens so easy. And so what, what we always have to do is it, you know, for instance, um, it, it gets very difficult in regular social situations to parse this so that you don't feel offensive to people. So for instance, you're at a birthday party, you're at Christmas. My wife and I talk about this all the time because this bothers her all the time. You're at Christmas and someone gives you a gift and you open the gift and it is not something you like whatsoever. You have a dilemma because it's like, I don't really think it's, on one hand, it's not like socially helpful or really doesn't seem right to say, I don't like this to the person. But on the other hand, you generally in your heart don't like it. So you have a weird social dilemma that we have all the time. And these little moments are, are, are basically building blocks for what happens next. And if we, in that process, totally portray a false idea, rather than you can, you can try not to lie, you can, by doing something, is thank you for considering me. You're pointing to the consideration. You're point, there are ways for you to be thankful to the person but not the gift itself. But if you totally yeah. put up a lie, oh my goodness, this is what I've always wanted. <laughs> like, oh, you know, thanks so much. Then you've told a little white lie, right? We White lies. Yeah. White yeah. lies build up. And it's very, very easy for us in that situation. So what, what's an appropriate f- situation there? Maybe say, hey, thanks for thinking of me. I appreciate it. You, you didn't need to do this. I, I appreciate it. Uh, right. And, you know, set it down. And then if they go, by the way, if you're, if you need to exchange it, you know, yeah, actually, you know, that might be helpful. Be honest. And, you know, that kind of thing, you know, um, but it gets really awkward. Those are the, those are the little building blocks that, that happen on larger scales, right? When you're like, I really don't know if I, how much truth do I need? How strongly do I need to present what I believe in this situation? And those get played out in myriads of different ways. And so every time we, we don't speak the truth that we know to be the truth, particularly on issues where it's a matter of ethics, uh, mm. ethics on a situation you're asked to participate in, that's when you start to devolve your ability to recognize the problem. And you have weakened your muscles. You have weakened yourself. So that the moment that you actually need to stand for truth, the real, the biggest truth of your life, you will not be ready because right. you have not learned the discipline of standing for truth in every small area Man. of your life. Man, dude, that makes that, that was so well said and it makes so much sense. It re- Thank you for that, bro. I, I really hope that people will take that and soak that up because that makes a lot of sense, dude. It's, it's this fear of confrontation and to, and you notice, have you noticed how bad it's gotten where it's, where it's literally the most inconsequential circumstance, the most inconsequential conversation and, and people are afraid to say, oh no, 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 they'll take, they'll get the, they'll take their order. It's totally wrong, but they don't want to be con- confrontational to the person right. who served them. Right. And, and say, oh no, that's, that's, that's wrong. I'll be honest with you, bro. I'm guilty of that. Right. Because, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because, because, you know, we, I have respect for people who, who work in service industry and who, you know, who, who are waiters and waitresses and, and cooks and, you know, the restaurants, and everything. I mean, I, I have respect for those people. And I, I, 
for whatever strange reason, I feel like I'm kind of disrespecting them if I just ask for my order to be right or changed. You know what I mean? And and yeah. really, we shouldn't be that way because I think, I think, generally speaking, they have a desire to get the order right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they want it to be right, and ideally, it's we want it to be right the first time. Sometimes that's just not possible. Uh, yeah. So you have a dilemma there, right? You have a dilemma in in those situations that you have to figure out how how can I be kind, but at the same time be truthful. And this is where, when in John chapter one, when John describes what Jesus was all about, John says that Jesus came to bring both grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so grace is that opportunity that, you know, hey, I know you didn't get it right. It's not, a, it's not offensive to me. But truth is you didn't get it right. You know, and it's like, it, that's the balancing act that we're all asked to play and Christ balanced it perfectly. And so we are to model Christ's literally his example in being that balance between being um, essentially tyrannical or being permissive or, um, you know, enabling. And which one, it's balancing between those two. And sometimes there's a little flex, right? Sometimes you lean one way or the other and you ask God for wisdom and you make your choice as best as you can do it in the moment. And in reflection, sometimes you go, well, maybe I should have made the other choice. But yeah, it's balancing between those two, between uh, tyranny and anarchy or, or, or grace and truth that we all have to play. And the better we are at practicing it, knowingly practicing it, the better, the stronger we will be to stand for the right things and to um, give grace during the right things. Um, and so it, it's, it's that it's balancing between that, that back and forth is really where that, where that comes to play. So let's go back to the church, man, because can we, can they turn it around? I mean, can they, I, I you look at this and you're like, man, this is like, this is so much, such a, such a big problem that I really can't do much about it except try to be the best I can be in my business, in my personal life, etc. But I mean, do you think the church can turn things around if they do a better job of storytelling um, in order to maybe, whether it's to attract non-believers or to just get the message out or whatever? What are your thoughts on that, man? Because I, I just, yeah, it just seems like such a massive issue to me. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's two main things that I see as a way to, to turn the ship of where the churches are. Number one is we have to recognize that God has given us a model for properly working, obviously, and he defines that in how the church should work. But there's also a model in the Old Testament about how to relate to authority that's actually really helpful. And I believe that every single person who has been placed in some form of opportunity in a New Testament context has the role to speak the truth to power. And that is like the Old Testament prophet in some sense in a, in a New Testament dispensational application. You've got the Old Testament prophet's role was to go, hey, um, sire, this is not the best idea. God says, here's what it, God says about that, right? And it, you're literally, every single person is, is 
supposed to play the role of a prophet and how that works and, th and that scales all the way out to society is imagine yourself in a car that has no dashboard whatsoever. When would you know your tank is empty? When would you know you've got a check engine light? When would you know you're going too fast or slow? If you don't have indicators, you will not know when there's going to be a problem. And so that is literally the role of the prophet in some sense and the role that we together, as especially in an American society, play is we play the role of an indicator of something. And when we don't display ourselves, when we don't speak forth the truth that we see, displaying what we see, we blind the person in charge from being able to see how they need to lead. So that is the biggest problem. And, and oftentimes pastors, they get the, it's because pastors get so much of the flack on the bad side that they start to develop literally a callous or, or a, they start to mute the congregation entirely because they just can't take it. They get some of the, the, the fruits that are truly spiteful and not constructive. They're not loving. They're not done in a way that's actually going to help build up. It's meant to tear down. And so as a leader, you're an open target and you kind of feel like because you're up on the top of it, as it were, on the hierarchy, you get hit more from both sides. Uh, it's really easy for you to start putting up shields. But the problem is the more you do that as a leader, the more you will end up creating major problems. And so um, what our role is in the church is to be gently bringing forth the truth that we see to our leadership so that the leader directs the path. It is not to never speak something and leave. And that is what a majority of churches and leaders in churches not only want, but believe is true and ethical. They actually have been in lots of churches. I've actually been told this by a pastor that if you tell a pastor that they're doing something wrong, if you, in some sense, correct an elder or a pastor, you are like David with the spear and you have tried to kill Saul the anointed. What? And yeah. Uh, and so there's there's this aspect of authoritarianism that sometimes gets protected in in a church context where you just don't you don't have the right to speak. Uh, and and that carries out into your business. You don't have the right to speak to correct the CEO or you expect to be fired. Well, that's bad because the CEO doesn't know everything. He's blind to everything that's happening because he's not on the, the ground level where everything's happening. He's up here in his ivory tower and he can't see it. And so he needs to be able to be brought information up the hierarchy. Think every time you should, the, lar the larger you grow as an organization, um, whether you're, you're, you're a practical company or you're you know, a nonprofit, the larger you grow, think of yourself as on top of a mountain. And there is a fog that rolls in. The, t the fog, farther you climb the hierarchy, there is a thicker fog that prevents you from seeing what's happening in the village below you around the mountain. And what's very easy for you to happen is you can make a decision that not only imperils yourself, but could trigger an avalanche that would endanger everyone below you. But you don't see it. 
Only the people who are in proper position along the bottom of the hierarchy can see it. And so you have to be willing to have a, number one, push the decision-making process down the mountain, down the hierarchy to the people at the bottom and say, hey, what do we got going on? What's our problems going on? What do we see is, is going on? What do we, why, do we, why do you think this needs to change? And then you make your decisions that have to go up and make your final call. This is what a great model is uh, in literature and in, in, um, in TV is actually Captain Picard from Star Trek Next Generation. Uh, he is a great example of this idea that you get as much information as you can from your team before you try to make a call. And you get, and you, sometimes when a teammate is really stressing something, you probably should listen to them. When number one is really stressing, or Deanna is like, I, Captain, I really don't, I get bad vibes from this guy. You really need to be careful. And Picard, Almost always went very well. Let's proceed with caution. Let's watch for what's going to happen because you have to make a decision and you got to keep going forward. You can't stop. But let's be aware as we move forward. And the whole team is now alert. That is what a great leader does. And oftentimes what happens in, com in companies, same thing with on a church level, is only the people that get the right to say anything are the people in charge. And the more you do that, the more you will go, you're going to end up hitting an iceberg because there are going to be people who are on the ship, boat of the ship that are going to see something that you don't see. And that's good. And you need to be listening and prioritizing together, working as a team. And so oftentimes, how do we fix this problem? We first and foremost, embrace the role of the prophet in wherever we are. We speak the truth that we see, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it makes them, you're trying to do it nicely, right? You're trying to come to them and say, by the way, you ever thought of this? Like, because I've noticed this and this and, and this. I mean, have you ever seen that? You can speak it nicely, but you need to speak it. And so that's the only way we turn the ship around in the church is by all of us together, looking at the word, being Bereans, and asking ourselves, are we living out what's in the word? All of us, including the leadership. And of course, as you know, is described before you take a role, before you take issue with something with a leader or anyone for that matter, are you first practicing that yourself? So are, do you have a log in your own eye or a sliver in your own eye, a log in the other, and you're trying to pull out the log out of the sliver of your, your brother's eye, but the, not the log in your own eye? Be aware that you might have to work on this first before you take this to the leadership or to, to your brother. You might have to really seek and, and, and search yourself to see where you're not doing that. Start practicing it, start living it out so that you can actually say, look, I've been living this out. I've been trying to do this myself. And this is what I think we should all do together. And I'm there for you. And that's the only way. That's the second part. The, the hypocrisy of sometimes of the church is to point out the error, but not to be practicing themselves. But on the other hand, you get people who say, well, you shouldn't point it out because, you know, you should never point out anything that you're not already doing. It's like, but I am doing that. Like, I actually have a group of people who I'm working with to make sure that I don't do that. It's no, never the log in the eye thing is usually used as an excuse to protect someone's sin. No, that's not an excuse, but you should always be prepared to go, ha, ah, man, that's a problem. So what, whether that's in your, in your church 
whether that's in your company, whether it's in our government, wherever it is, we should be all being aware of what's happening and speaking the truth so that we can make adjustments so that the indicators of our lights tell the driver where, what things need to happen, what's go, what might happen, gas going down, you know, whatever, so that we can arrive at a destination that we're looking to do. Yeah, Cody, that was, that was, that was a great explanation, man. And it, it, it's, it does start, it does start with us. It does start with the church. Um, this is why, and I, I think this is why I'm, I'm doing a lot of shows on communication because it really surprises me at how many people out there really still have no idea how to communicate. You know what I mean? And it's, and you have to find your lane that works for you, but that's one of the reasons why they avoid the, the quote unquote confrontation because they don't know what to say, or they know they're going to be just, you know, rude or brash, or, you know, they don't know how to communicate with people even to this yeah. day. And, and, right. and again, that's right. I mean, that that's, that's kind of a, a, a problem and it, it, people, gosh, I don't know. I'm hoping that listening to a show like this will, will help people learn how to communicate, how to speak to other people um, and, and find your own way of doing it. Cause there is no one right way. You know what I mean? People can, people can many times feel your intent as you walk up to them and the first, within the first few words of what you say, you know what I mean? Right. So as I talked about with, the role of the prophet, the role of your indicator, and your role as as a believer, as a just in general, as a person embracing these archetypes, these archetypes apply of how story can actually match exactly the pathway forward to bring us from where we are as an organization or as a leader to where we need to be, and that includes from your church all the way up through um, what we should be in society. And the biggest way is to ultimately, when we speak the truth, we are literally confronting the chaos that exists in the world. And there are two ways to think about that. You have always, um, like in described in the book of Genesis at the beginning of the Bible, you have the chaos of the unknown wilderness. You have the garden, walled garden, that exists order and beauty and, and truth within that. But that, always within that garden is a snake. And the snake in the garden is the snake inside each of our hearts, even though we're anytime we're bringing order to society, bringing order from the chaos around us, making us a, a beautiful walled garden, as it were, in our companies or in ourselves, there's always a snake that lies within. And so we need each other to help spot the snakes that are dwelling within our midst. And mythologically speaking, the connection between snakes and dragons all throughout the Middle Ages and the way they're told through myth and narrative in almost every culture um, parallel very closely to the idea of slaying a dragon of chaos with something like truth, with a proactive willingness to bring truth to bear. And so the in the Middle Ages, the metaphor being certainly with a Christological focus is the sword of the spirit. The sword is the thing that brings the truth. The sword being also compared to the words we speak. And so as we embody the archetype of the hero, where we speak the truth and we see the problems and we go after the problems that we see first, we don't wait for them to come into our layer, into our walled garden. We're finding where they are, whether they're inside our walls 
or outside and trying to bring those in under submission, trying to actually cause those things to be um, brought to justice through truth. And so our role in the hero archetype, in the story of our lives, is to embody the hero's journey, which is to understand that you have to take a journey into the unknown, into the area, whether it's the unknown of yourself, the unknown of the people around you, the unknown of just uh, entropy. We don't know what's going to happen today, tomorrow, whatever's going to happen um, and boldly confront that reality with whatever allows us to bring forth order in the world, which is the truthful speech, is what allows us to call forth order out of the chaos and bring, bring forth a better world. And that is our role in both our organizations, whether all the way down from our families to ourselves, all the way up through our, our uh, nation and our world. And so embracing the truth embracing the logos centered understanding is how we actually embrace the hero archetype and apply the story of of ultimately what Christ did modeling after his life the logos the truth embracing that and actually exemplifying that embodying that in our life is living the fullest hero archetype is literally the meta hero and uh, a lot of these ideas, by the way, if you're interested in learning more about, are, were uh, articulated even greater degree by uh, a professor of psychology uh, named Dr. Jordan Peterson. And I highly encourage his uh, lectures on this area of, of the, the scriptures, the hero archetype, and how it relates to our call to action in the world. Um, and so definitely recommend that. So we were kind of... We're kind of moving on to the end here, Cody, and we've got a lot of great stuff here today. So I'm going to ask you the, the, the final question that I ask every special guest. Um, and that is, uh, if, if, if you could leave the audience right, with just one thing that they could start doing right now that would set them on the path to becoming undeniable, what would that one thing be? Yeah, so... I would say um, the one thing that I would recommend for someone to practice in order for them to be, you know, undeniably real uh, in the world ultimately is, I would say, the, the practice of first setting a, your glance on what is above, seeing what's there, looking to the, the ultimate standard for everything, and then trying to embody that for yourself and then trying to help other people follow in that footstep. And the only way you can do that is by speaking truth and, and as living the truth. And you, yes, there's a description that uh, you live the truth. Uh, um, you, you preach the gospel with your actions. Uh, yes, absolutely. You do that. And that will, you can't really have any position whatsoever if you're not practicing what you preach so you have to practice what you preach, but you also have to preach. You have to speak the truth into the world. It literally, as, as Jordan Peterson likes to say, um, when you don't speak the truth, the world falls apart. And that's because, as he articulates as well, that we are to model Christ, the Logos, who is the truth. And when we don't, he literally defines reality. He is truth. And so when we don't speak the truth, when we don't speak 
reality, we distort it. And that is ultimately, I think, the, the most important thing that we need to realize, uh, both in our companies, when we're employees, employers, what we are stand for as a company, um, needs to be willing to, 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 to stand for what you need to believe in, in order to make the world better, in order to make the world aligned to a, to, to Christ, um, and take the hit for it, because that's what we're called to do. We're called to be warriors, um, and being willing to do that. So I, I, th- I think that's my big takeaway there for what we should be doing. Yeah. And that's good stuff. And I hate to, I hate to, I hate to tack on a follow-up because, but I, I, I try to, you know, I want, I want everybody to get value of it because I don't want people to listen to that and say, okay, well, you know what? I don't believe in God. I'm not a believer. So, um, so my question, my follow-up for you is, is what about for those people who are listening, who are not believers? right? What's the one thing they can do? I would, yep. I mean, I think I know what you're going to say, but I mean, who knows? What, again, just what would you, what would you say to them? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're only as good as the standard that you reflect. You're only yeah. as, uh, as powerful as the power that you, you channel and who are you drawing power from? And the, if, if you take a biblical worldview, there's only one good side. There's, and there's only one bad side. And you have to choose which which side that is. And you can reflect if you're not quite there in your faith journey, you can still start to practice the very things that have made us successful as a nation. You can practice the ideals of, of freedom of speech. You can practice the ideals of being able to make decisions for yourself and choose who you interact with um, and not force people to not have choices. Um, you have to be able to actually enact the truths that you see, but ultimately we will not be able to reflect the good in the world, which is based in the Judeo-Christian framework. If we're not a if we're not thinking and reflecting on the logos, which is literally the, the, the core definition of what has made the West great. And so that would be my, my plea is, uh, to think about and ask yourself, where, where are you at? What truths are you trying to draw strength from? And uh, it, it, ultimately, the, the strength that will draw the strongest, getting us back to where we want to be as a nation, is going to be from the Logos, which is Christ himself, and modeling ourselves after him. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Well, Cody, it's, um, man, it's been another great episode, and um, I, I can't thank you enough for being here, for making the time, for your contribution. Um, I, I think, again, I could be a bit biased about this show, but I think there's undeniable value here for people to extract. Um, so one thing I do want to let people know as we close up shop here is that Cody is currently offering some story-based marketing and training services for entrepreneurs. Um, and But this is not the hook. This is the absolute truth, but only for a limited time. All right, so be sure to reference the show and reaching out to him. Um, and speaking of Cody, if people are interested in those services or maybe they just have questions, want to connect with you, how can they do that? Yeah. So best way to connect with me is through LinkedIn. Um, so you can just type my name in Cody, uh, Adams and it's, uh, the one with an orange profile right now anyway. Uh, and my, um, my hashtag of something, my handle for, for that is CA Storyscape. Um, 
So you can find me on LinkedIn. You can DM me, DM me that way. We can connect. Um, make sure to mention in the DM, whether it's actually also on Twitter, you can connect with me as well, um, or Facebook. Make sure to DM me and mention the Become Undeniable podcast that you saw us here and Brad's show, and it would be a great opportunity for us to connect. I'd love to connect with you. Twitter, Facebook, just type in my name, Cody Adams. Also, if you're doing Twitter, Facebook, look for the American flag and this face right here, and you'll see it. <laughs> awesome. Cody, thanks again, man, for the time. I truly, it's, all, it's, a, it's been a pleasure. I'm almost certain this will not be the last time we connect here. And uh, until then, bro, take care, and I appreciate it as always. Sounds good, Brad. Thanks a lot. All right. That's it, guys. If uh, it is, as we wrap up, I want to say that it is my hope that you took away some truly authentic value. And the truth of the matter is, is that if if you didn't hear any nuggets that were undeniably valuable to you, then clearly you were not listening, right? So the next step here is we just ask you always to pay this show forward to people um, by sending it to people you know. And that way, um, they can get some value out of it as well, because as you were listening, I mean, I'm sure that Cody said something truly masterful that just resonated with you. And you thought to yourself, man, somebody I know so-and-so needs to hear that point. Well, what you need to do is stop for a second and send them this show, right? It takes just a couple taps of the thumbs and you're providing that value to that person. Say, look, you got to hear it, right? Them hearing that could be the one thing that really turns their life around. That's not, that's not an understatement. It is very possible that that words have so much power that that hearing them can sometimes actually change the trajectory of someone's life. It, it's it's true, right? So, last but not least, of course, as always, we're going to ask that you leave us a generous review so that this show can grow, get into the get into the ears of people that really need to hear it, and. Uh, we, we ask that you would just please hook us up that way and uh, all that. Clearly, I am having a rough time speaking today, so I'm going to go ahead and call it a day, right? And as always, I close out with the same thing because it is absolutely true that you cannot become undeniable if you are uninformed. So make sure you always bless up and I'm out.